distinction between just getting an attorney in probate or probate litigation and getting somebody who really is a specialist and really knows the business. I had the great privilege of being on a panel recently with Robert Hall and Associate Accounting Firm to meet really one of the top probate um, attorneys in Southern California in the Pasadena area, uh, Joshua Driscoll of Lagerloff uh, Law Firm. And so he's been nice enough to join us here today. Joshua, thank you so much for coming on Probate Weekly. Of course. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Give me background. How did you end up in probate real estate um, uh, as an attorney versus all the other areas of law? Yeah, it, you know, being an attorney is sort of like whichever job you get out of law school is sort of how you get pigeonholed sometimes. And the first job that I had coming out of law school was for a firm that uh, did a ton of estate planning, a ton of trust administration, a lot of real estate work, corporate work, and and probate. And it, so it's really the only world I've ever known. Um, I'm licensed in several states and have handled probates in all of those places. And, uh, you know, I, I started it. I really liked it. Um, probate scares some attorneys for some reason because it's, you know, it's got court involved and it has, you know, uh, people looking over your shoulder and all sorts of stuff. So um, I, I always found that fun. Um, you get you get in front of the same judges a lot. They get to know you, which is very different than, you know, civil, uh, you know, civil type law where, you know, in LA County, for example, there's 100 judges just in the downtown courthouse. Um, there's only five probate judges, so you get to see these people a lot. Uh, so that's always, you know, been really attractive and really fun. It's so funny to see. I literally have a listing tomorrow being confirmed at court, and to me, I feel like a football team where you practice all week and then you go for the game, and you know, I dress differently and pack differently and get down there early. And I'm excited. I'm talking to realtors who theoretically might have a customer to overbid. I'm trying to encourage them saying, hey, it's fun, I'll buy a coffee, come down to meet me. I'm yeah. excited and they're they're scared. Most people are scared to get in front of a judge. It must've been yeah. scary to agree for you when you started. Uh, how did you get, how did you work yourself through that? Uh, trial by fire. Uh, you just have to go down there. I remember the first time uh, I was in, in probate court. Uh, yeah, it is like, it's, it's a foreign world. And anybody that's done work in civil, um, you know, the civil type attorneys, they're like fishes out of water in, in probate. It's got its own set of rules. It's got its own uh, norms and things like that. And in, in law, you know, attorney to attorney, we, we have a phrase of called, you know, called being hometown. And really what that means is you're, you're totally out of, out of your element and you had somebody run circles around you because they knew the rules and you didn't. But we see that a lot in probate. So, you know, somebody high, whether it's probate litigation or it's just even probate uh, administration, somebody will, you know, they'll, they'll call their friend who's an attorney and they'll go down and they, oh, I can handle that. Sure. And uh, they end up making a huge mess of it, delaying it. Um, litigation's even worse because, you know, they're totally out of the, out of the water from, from a rules perspective. And it's, it's really not to their benefit. So, you know, if any, anything, you should always use somebody who's, uh, you know, a probate expert, somebody who's practicing in that court all the time. Yeah, I, I say in real estate, I don't know that you have to on a standard full authority probate, unless there's litigation or objectors, certainly on a court confirmation, I think that's where you really need to find somebody who's going to help you. With attorneys, you know, I used to be in court every day and I'd see like the really fancy attorney with a fancy suit and I'm looking online on my whip phone and he went to Harvard Law School and he looks all great. Right. He's got the $2,000 briefcase. And then the and then the judge says, did you clear the probate notes? And he's like, probate notes? What are the, 
<laughs> yeah, Your Honor, I don't know what those are, and you know, like, okay, great. And then you said, and then as a, an attorney waiting for my case to get called, right. I go ahead and grab a cup of coffee because right. I know now that it's going to be a few minutes before my case is called. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. As a result of that, do you end up getting business referred to by other attorneys that don't practice probate? Is that part of, or is oh, it your yeah. firm's big enough to get that, or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually get work from other probate attorneys. Our firm's sort of known from very messy probates. Um, we probably do you know, 200 probates a year. Uh, we do a lot. Uh, so chances are in 200 probates a year, we're going to see the issue uh, at least once before, right? Whatever the case may be. And I have handled probates of all complexity level, um, you know, the simple ones, the really complicated ones. So, you know, attorneys know that and the probate bar is relatively small. So they will you know, refer work to me or to the firm and say, oh, look, I know you guys can figure this out. I, you know, I, there's got to be a solution here somewhere kind of thing. And sometimes in probate or any area of law, but in, particularly in probate, there's not a cookie cutter perfect solution. You may have to figure out, okay, what's the best approach to sort of getting in here and getting in front of the judge if there's an issue or, or whatnot? Because it's, it's not always going to line up exactly with you know, a statute code section or something. So you need somebody who has experiences in front of the court a lot to, to kind of guide you there. You know, I was once in court and I watched a case where normally on a California limited authority, you can't sell the property for less than 90% of the appraisal, the inventory in appraisal right. court. And I saw a judge, you know, agree based on certain, certain extenuating circumstances, approve it. And I said, wow, the code says you can't do that, but the judge just did it. And I had a case later with an, another attorney about a year later, and the situation came up, uh, we had to sell it quickly and below the price, we couldn't get the appraisal done. I said, well, I know that the judge can, can't do it. Now the court code says they can't, but the judge can do whatever the judge wants to do, right. uh, as long as it makes sense and as long as it's in the best interest of the state. How do you kind of play those lines? How do you decide when to push the envelope? Obviously, some mm. things you've seen and you learn from sure. experience, other, you kind of have a sense of it. How do you kind of play that line a little bit? Yeah, well, you're right. It, at the end of the day, the judge can sort of do whatever they want, right? Now, could somebody appeal that decision? Could there be some other mechanism where it could could it ultimately be a problem? Maybe, right? But for the most part, you know, judges are empowered to make decisions like this every day. Probate court is a court of equity, right? And that is a distinction from you know a, a contract dispute. Right. If you if you've ever been involved in something like that, that's a court of law that they're looking at the contract. They're just they're determining, did you say you were going to show up on January 5th and and, you know, put a new driveway in? Yes. Did you show up on January 6th? Yes. OK, you breached the contract. Right. End of story. In that simple example, when it comes to a probate court, probate court's a court of equity. And they're really looking at what is fair in these circumstances. What's right, uh, you know, best on, uh, you know, this circumstance. So very different. And, you know, that's usually what you're appealing to in a lot of these situations is that what is right in light of all of the circumstances, what's going to get the most money in the pocket of the beneficiaries, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I've seen judges make all sorts of decisions like that. Now, you mentioned, I think, that you're licensed in several other states. Do you mind sharing which yeah. states those are? Sure. Uh, Ohio, primarily, is my other state that I do a lot of work in. Also in Michigan, but do very uh, do a lot less. I've actually let my license go inactive there. Did a lot of work when I worked in Ohio. Um, and Ohio, I guess the biggest thing to take away from that is every state is very different on probate. 
right, or any areas of law. But uh, in particular, you know, probate is very driven by the state law and then by the county that you're in. Even in LA, right, where we have a lot of different counties around us, LA County, Kern County, all of that, even though they're playing from the same rule book, the judges are doing things very, very different in the counties. So you really need also, in, in addition to having somebody who is, you know, a probate expert, you want to have someone who's uh, an expert in that county that you're in, because it's really important. I think you're right. And I think knowing those local rules and procedures, and if you can even know the judges, is such a big advantage. I know in LA, it seems to me that almost every judge, almost every time, will delay a foreclosure if it's to the benefit of the estate, almost right. seemingly without any reason. And in Orange County, I've seen no. I've seen judges say, hey, you had your you had your 90-day notice, you had your notice of trustee sale. No, that's the law. They had fair notice and the letters and and like you would never hear that in Los Angeles, but that's no. more common, not the rule, but more common in Orange County. Can you think of any other differences between counties that stand out that uh, point to the importance of knowing the local county or local rules? Yeah, a lot of it's administrative. Like, for example, in some counties, you have to file an original death certificate with the petition for probate. Some counties you don't. Um, uh, different levels of publication in different counties. Um, they often, all these counties have different local forms that you have to fill out. Um, but you picked up on the probably the biggest difference, which is how the counties are in utilizing their discretion, right? Because that that issue that you brought up, which was probably an ex parte request to, you know, temporarily restrain the lender from, uh, you know, completing a foreclosure is at the judge's discretion, right? They look at that and they say, okay, am I going to restrict this company's rights or this person's rights uh, over the estate and basically benefit the estate in light of what, what the contract says? You're absolutely right. In LA County, they will do that pretty much every time, um, at least once, maybe even twice um, on the same piece of property. In Orange County and some of the other counties around LA, no. You better show that the estate uh, did some really dramatic things to try to keep this from, from going into a foreclosure. And, you know, but for something outside the estate's control, they would have paid. Yeah. Uh, LA County, not so much. So those are examples where you really wanna know where you're at. Um, and you know, talk to somebody who's experienced to figure out, okay, is this even going to work here in LA County? Right, right. Well, just real quick, let's do a couple of administrative stuff. This is Probate Weekly. We do this every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it on YouTube and Facebook. If you're watching on live stream, feel free to put your questions there and we'll answer them. We love to have people come on live and participate because that's really how we all learn better. I'm a practitioner, I'm not selling data, I'm not selling coaching. I'm learning and talking to Joshua, sharing with you hopefully, and, and maybe helping create some business for him as well. But my goal here is for us all to learn by being better at our business. A couple quick resources, you can register and come on the call live on Zoom via probateweekly.com. Probateweekly.com is the website. You can see the past episodes, they're all recorded at episodes probateweekly.com, episodes.probateweekly.com. On Facebook, we have a Facebook group that's free, Probate Experts. We have attorneys from around the country. We have real estate agents and investors from around the country. And we have uh, families and petitioners that come in, ask questions, and get leads there for real estate. So love to have you participate. This is meant to be participative. I see Lynn on our YouTube. Thank you with the, with the shout out. And love to have you guys. If you like it, please like it. If you want to subscribe to it, love to have you subscribe to it and, and participate. 
So, um, Joshua, when if you were giving advice, th this is one of the challenges I see that I can't really speak to. But you, I'm going to give you a little bit of a platform because you've heard success and 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 such. If you're giving advice to an attorney who is struggling in their practice because they're doing a lot of things, none of them particularly well, I think you would say they're going to do better by picking an area and focusing in on that. That's hard to do when you're building your business because you have to kind of give up what looks like a case to uh, spend time. How do you encourage somebody to develop that expertise in one area? And the same is true with real estate agents. How do you encourage somebody to say, hey, just get through that initial period. In the long run, it works out better for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know if you're starting out and you're trying to develop an expertise, I know it can seem counterintuitive to tell, you know, to focus down, right? Because I think you, the, the, the feeling or the inclination is to try to say, well, I do all of this, right? I can, I can do your probate. I can do your estate planning. I can, uh, I'll, I'll sue that uh, contractor for, for screwing up your driveway. I'll do this. I'll do that. And the reality is you might be able to do those things and you might be able to do them all well. But, uh, but generally speaking, when you are advertising that you can do that, num those number, numbers of things, you will, uh, you'll lose people, right? Because people want to hire experts that they think can get things done, that they are going to be able to, you know, exactly how to handle something and, and go from there. So the way I've always looked at it is you can have a few areas of expertise. Like, for example, I do a lot of estate and trust work. That's probably the bulk of my practice, but I do a, a lot of corporate and tax work and a lot of real estate work. And depending on my audience or depending on, you know, the issue at hand, um, maybe I'll focus on one over another. Uh, but the other thing is there's nothing stopping you from, from doing those other areas, even if you're focused, you know, let's say you laser focus on being a probate attorney. You're still going to have a lot of people come to you for other issues that are, you know, that maybe you can handle um, because you might be the only attorney they know. Or you might be somebody that you're an attorney that they trust or you're someone like that. So just like Bill, if somebody came to him to, to sell a piece of property that wasn't in a probate, he's not going to tell him to go pound sand. He's going to say, okay, sure, whatever. Um, just like if, if somebody came to me and said, all right, hey, can you handle my X, Y, and Z? And it's something that I know I can handle competently. Sure, I can do that. But, I, but I'm not going to advertise it in the same way. People know me as a trust and estate attorney, probate, whatever. Um, so, you know, I know it seems counterintuitive, but it really does pay dividends when people start to, you know, recognize you in connection with a specific area of law or a specific type of practice. So that's my thought there. One of the questions I get a lot uh, as I talk to, you know, real estate agents around the country is they'll ask me a question about probate that's unique or estate planning unique in their state or their area. And I'll say to them, well, you know, that's a great opportunity to call an attorney if you know one. You know, nobody wants to be called to be pigeonholed for referrals, but I think yeah. we all like to help somebody when we're, when, when you see somebody making an effort to build their business and participate. Um, what would your recommendation, what would your recommendation be? Should a real estate agent looking to build, but has a legitimate question for the client, feel comfortable reaching out to an attorney, invite them to coffee, invite them to lunch, or just a phone call, or what would be the proper way to reach out and get, to build that relationship? Yeah, I think they should. They absolutely should. I mean, I talk to agents all the time, talk to other attorneys, CPAs all the time. Sometimes it's as simple as just being a resource and answering their question, right? Knowing that, look, you know, they're handling this case or they're handling it. it it's not, they're, they're not so far out of their depth that they're going to refer this client over to me, but they're having a little bit of struggle in, in one area or another. Um, 
that, I, you know, I, I have no problem helping people with that because I would want somebody to help me if I didn't know right. the answer to something. Um, but you're right, Bill, it is a great opportunity to get to know, uh, know an attorney. And you'll probably have really good luck if it's, if it's, hey, you know, you email somebody with a basic area of the question. Hey, I have some, you know, I have a client with this issue. Um, we're having, we're stuck here. There may be an opportunity to assist on this for you. Can you help me? You know, can I sp- ten, spend 10 minutes and ask this question? You're likely to get really get a really good response. And then uh, depending on how you're connecting with that person, right? Uh, maybe it's a good opportunity to invite them to lunch or coffee. Um, because, you know, just like clients do business with people they know, like, and trust, people refer business to people they know, like, and trust. And if you can, you know, get your foot in the door through a question uh, and then start to ask more about their practice and then, you know, inevitably they're going to ask about yours. And, you know, it's a a way of kind of communicating how you might be mutually beneficial to each other. Because that's really key, right? If you just call and you say, hey, I want to sell all your probate real estate, um, you're not going to get very far, right? Um, But if you are showing how you're able to, you know, be mutually beneficial to them. Hey, how can you help me? I, I'm going to help you. Now you have a much higher likelihood of getting somewhere. Let's pivot a little bit to estate planning rather than probate. I I think I enjoy probate a lot more uh, than probably generates the, the the business as a real estate agent. But um, I, I think of estate planning as avoiding probate, um, the right. preventative side of the business, right? But it's more than that. It's really about helping people focus on their goals and their family relationships and all that. So talk a little bit about. Um, you know, is, is that primary business that people come to you? Do you, do you, you know, reach out to offer? Cause I find, uh, people don't spend enough time thinking about those things. They don't spend enough time planning on those things until they have a problem. Then they're calling you on the phone desperate, yeah. right? We don't spend enough time preparing for problems. We spend too much resolving. How do you, or, or do you, are you able to help people get into the preventative mode rather than the reactive mode? Yeah, thankfully, I mean, I have a lot of clients that are already in that, right? They're thinking about it. They're looking at it, um, you know, and sometimes there are clients that just aren't ready for it. Um, Maybe they're in a life mode where they're not, it's not of concern. Um, I think education is key there, you know, letting them know what, and we're talking about prevention, we're talking about really cost avoidance and time avoidance, right? You're operating in the probate space, you know, it's slow and it's expensive. Um, When you compare it to the typical trust administration of assets of the same of the same type, usually probate is more expensive than it would be to, to administer a private trust. Yeah. So, you know, if somebody's driven by cost, if somebody's driven by, you know, who they're leaving behind, make sure that they're not leaving them a mess um, and that it's going to be difficult for them. Um, you know, that's when we really find that we have the best success on trying to get somebody to do some preventative and in, in advance estate planning. Because otherwise, you know, they they haven't seen the need yet. So I noticed, I didn't notice this when we met previously. I just thought you were an attorney at the firm, came there and said, you're the managing partner. What does that mean? What's a managing partner? Uh, I mean, I imagine a one person part, uh, one person law firm is a fancy title, but you guys are a legitimate firm. What does a managing partner mean versus a regular daily attorney? Sure. Uh, so we have a little over a hundred people. Um, so I'm the you know, managing partner, as you mentioned, and really that means I'm the administrative, you know, chief administrative officer or chief executive officer of the firm as well as a practicing lawyer, right? So I oversee our firm structure, our management. I um, you know, deal with our acquisitions and all of the business side of, of the firm as well as practice. 
Um, so it's fun. I love it. I love the kind of the two, the two pieces it's, it's of fun. it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Um, what's really fun for Sometimes me. Sometimes it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Some days it's really fun. Um, like today is really fun. Um, the, uh, what's really great though, is that I get to put in place, you know, and talk about with experience, the types of things that I'm, ex- uh, I'm recommending for, uh, the client. Right. So like in a merger and acquisition, I do a, a good amount of that, particularly driven by estate planning. Yeah, you know, we do that on, as a firm level, right? That's how we've grown. That's how we build our business, that kind of thing. When it comes to real estate, right? I'm a, I'm a personal real estate investor. I have properties of my own. I can talk investor to investor, right? Um, so those are really great things to be able to do. And I also really enjoy the entrepreneur side. Right. Probably most of the people on here are entrepreneurs and they understand kind of how that works and that's what they want. Um, so it's really fun to be able to, you know, guide the firm. I mean, this this firm's been around since 1908. And um, under my leadership, if you want to call it that, we've grown to the largest that we've ever been. Our branding's the best that it's been. Um, we're in more locations, we're in multi-states, you know, all those are things that, you know, when I started didn't exist and now do. And um, you know, it's a struggle every day to push it, but um, it's really fun. And I also love the practice. Um, I get to see all of our different firms, different groups, which is really. How do you allocate your time between the business management, you know, side, the CEO hat and the attorney who works with clients hat? How do you, how do you structure that? Or do you structure it? Or is it just kind of flow? Well, it's a, it's a hundred percent planning and, and working a hundred percent administrative, you know, just kidding. Um, it feels like that some days and it's a hundred percent of both categories. It's very much by the flow. Um, you know, I'm really lucky that I have a, a C-suite, so to speak. You know, we have a COO, we have a director of administration, HR, tech. Those used to all be me. I mean, it wasn't that long ago I was crawling under tables, hooking up computers, and now we've got, you know, three people in our IT department. Right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's it, it's hard for me sometimes because, um, at, you know, I, I know we could do it much faster or easier, better, or whatever you want to say. Um but I have to really rely on uh, the team that I have, which is fantastic. They're, they're awesome. If I didn't have them, I would be going crazy. And the same thing on the, on the legal side. Yeah, at this point, I'm primarily overseeing work as opposed to doing the daily work. Although there are certainly things that, I, that I'm you know, in the trenches doing because maybe it's really sophisticated or it needs you know, my touch for some reason. Um, you know, everybody knows you know, the Clients want to talk to the same lawyer, you know, so sometimes it's a lot of communication, even though I might not be direct, the direct work on something. Um, it's fun. So in, in a firm your size, you have attorneys who ultimately work for the firm, represent the firm, have to carry the, the firm's banner. Yet at some level, I'm sure they want to create their own career, maybe book of business, maybe long term. Their plan is to be is to leave. How do you? How do you handle attorneys building their business, creating loyalty to the to the firm at the same time encouraging them to grow their business? How do you manage that? Uh, is it individual or is it? Do you have a company kind of culture on that? Yeah, we're very uh, we're very culturally entrepreneurial, and I have pushed that from day one of my taking over. Um, we want them to build their business here, right? We we I view what we have built in Lagerloft as a platform from which they can practice, right? They can take their shingle and they can go really anywhere, right? They could go to a d- different firm of our same size. They could go to a small firm. They could 
go out on their own. They can go to a big firm. Um, and, you know, attorneys by and large practice where they feel like they are getting the support that they need, they have the resources that they need, and that they are, are in a tier of firm that their clients that they are working with will hire them. If you can satisfy and check all those boxes, you typically won't lose people. Um, and we have done an amazing job of really being inventive and unique in the way that we try to comp attorneys to you know, not be driven by leaving to try to do something different. You know, if somebody says, hey, I, I want nothing more than to have my own firm someday, that doesn't turn me off. What I look at is, okay, how can I take what you want, what you think practicing on your own is, what is it about that that it's attracting? How can I show you what we have here that accommodates that? You know, we have a director of marketing. You have somebody who will, you know, do all of your videos and do all sorts of stuff. Um, a lot of firms don't even have that. Even firms double our size don't have that in some instances. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, there is a way in which everybody can kind of practice from that perspective here, which is really, which is really unique. And it's one of the points of the firm that has allowed us to keep people and to grow people. And, you know, we have a number of attorneys that are in their 40th and beyond year of practice and this is the only firm they've ever worked in. Wow. Which is unique. Well and I think this is those same principles apply in other businesses like real estate's the same thing. I I have colleagues who want to start their own company and I I'm a broker. I've been independent. I work on a platform kind of what you describe it that has everything I need for my business. I'm not going to leave because it's all there. If it wasn't I'd have to leave. But um yeah. I see people sometimes get that the false idea, well if I own the whole thing myself I have more. Well, maybe, but you're also going to have to yeah, recreate not. a lot and re that recreating right. will distract you from your job. So it seems to be very, attorneys are very similar business-wise to the real estate practice. Yeah, it's not it's not dissimilar to doctors either, right? They associate yeah. with the health system, right? They're, that's And it's not because they couldn't open a, a doctor's office, you know, down the street and, and do everything themselves. But the reality is in order to compete and to do those things, right? Um, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and we as a firm provide a ton of resources to allow somebody to practice effectively. And, you know, you get to spread that out over a number of attorneys as opposed to saying, all right, what well, want to do that? You're going to have to pay 12 grand a year for that piece of software or whatever. Right. One of the differences I think is that between your business and mine is everybody who goes into real estate assumes or starting their business. I think attorneys and probably doctors they're trained to be attorneys and or doctors. And I think somewhere they're not given often the preparation for, but you also have to build a career and or a business. And I see so many, I'm sure you see the same, they go out on their own and they forget they have to build a business. They just want to be attorneys. And it doesn't always work out that way. Like you have to do something to run a business to support you or affiliate with a firm that does that for you, right? Yeah, that's right. And we have attorneys of all kinds. We have attorneys that have been on their own, and, uh, you know, come here. In fact, the call I had right before this was an interview for a, a, an attorney position. He's been on his own for 15 years and now wants to join a firm. And the reasons are kind of what I just alluded to. It's I need a, uh, my, my, I need a bigger platform to attract the clients that I want. I, I don't have time to do all the management. I'm running them. I'm spending 50, 60 percent of my time on management. I should be building clients, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then we have attorneys that um, really just want to, they just want to, you know, almost nine to five, right? They just want to, you know, practice, go home, not think about the management, the employee issues, all of that. 
And then where we have those attorneys that are really entrepreneurial and they, they are the ones that tell me, no, I want to make, I want to start my own firm. Those are usually become our practice leaders or our practice chairs, right? These, they are running departments within our firm. Maybe they are running a different office for us, um, which can be very analogous to your own shop, right? Um, even though it's operating under our you know, firm standards and they report to me and all of that, um, they still have a lot of autonomy. Um, so we, we try to meet them where they are from that perspective. It's very similar to what we do in real estate, really exciting. Well, again, um, and I think for those who are following this conversation, part of it is to give you an idea of the culture. When you talk to attorneys, you want to, there's a whole variety from the country bumpkin, single guy in an office. He's been at it for 40 years. He has the same business cards he got 40 years ago to work with a high tech firm. And really when you go into Joshua's firm, they could be any of those because they have a wide variety within his firm. Other firms, they're all kind of the same. And so you really want to, understand there's a culture to attorneys you want to build a relationship and try to meet them where they are as a relationship um this is meant to be a participant i'd love to have you guys ask questions participate i see coming out from uh Durea, raleigh uh, uh north carolina uh courtney rollins courtney what's up man hey bill hey joshua thanks for sharing your time uh bill, i just wanted to, wanted to just uh really quick give you a shout out and flowers because so much of the things that you've shared I've tried to, uh, you know, put into practice, just started really drilling into probate in November. And you all see Bill is putting out so much awesome content. And as I'm learning probate space, I'm just, what I learn, I'll put it into like a blog form. And I'm saying all to say that I'm actually starting to get people are reaching out to me because they're seeing my YouTube. Nice. And then plus, and so that had to leave, reached out to me because she saw my YouTube uh, work. Um, I also, because of this community that you provided, was able to find a referral for an attorney so that I could um, connect her with that lead. And right. because of this community as well, you're like, hey, be a professional, make sure you give a warm handoff. So we set up a Zoom and I was able to sit with an attorney nice. and watch the intake process. And this is, I'm getting to the question, Joshua, but the, during the process, the attorney uh, said something I thought was really awesome, um, said that when you are, are giving your notice to creditors and the claims are coming in, make sure you negotiate every claim because with her experience, many uh, uh, debt collectors will settle for pennies to the dollar, particularly if it's a decedent's account. So I was wondering if there's any uh, tips or strategies that you can uh, provide when it comes to speaking to uh, debt and creditors uh, about negotiating um, the debt down the estate. Sure. And this is very state specific. What state are you in, Courtney? North Cackalack, North Carolina. Got it. Okay. So every state is slightly different, right? Um, California is uh, unique in that there are a few uh, rules that make it a little more challenging for creditors, actually, a little easier for us to negotiate things than there are in certain other states. For example, in California, there is a one year statute of limitations on the collection of debt from a decedent regardless of whether the state was opened or not. Very interesting, very weird sort of rule when you look at some of the others, um, you know, uh, other groups. Uh, so you have to look at uh, kind of what that is, but I agree with that that attorney completely. You can, you know, you can negotiate those debts, you can look at them, and that, that really drives higher dollars in the door for the beneficiaries, right? I mean, and, and that that's something, whether you get into get involved in that, um, uh, in the sale of real estate perspective or however you're, you're in that, um, you know, those types of little things are, are super important. And, you know, just like in bankruptcy, 
a little bit of pushback from the estate can oftentimes result in them not even pursuing the claim at all. Um, because, you know, depending on how much it is, it might not be worth it to them. If they're only owed 1500 two grand, they're probably not going to get a lawyer. They're not going to go in and file the claim. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. Um, you do that two or three times, you, you know, you've now netted the estate, you know, 10 grand, right? Or something like that. So it can be a big, it can, it can move the needle a lot. Great question. So, so I'm glad to have Courtney on here. Uh, Courtney, we, this is a national platform, and, and I advise real estate agents, if you want to learn about probate, go to the court. Go to the courthouse, go to the filing room, see what's there. Every, every state's different. Every county is different. So Courtney goes into in Durham, right? Raleigh or Dur Durham, goes in, makes friends with the clerk. He's taking selfies with her. She's giving him instructions. And I said That's to perfect. him- that's creepy, but that would never happen in Los Angeles. Tour across Joshua, that would never happen in LA. No. You would never get a selfie with a clerk and have her no. help. No, you wouldn't. And um, <laughs> you know that kind of goes into the second point. I think kind of kind of go along with your question, Courtney. Is you know get make friends with these people at the court. Um, they are your they are your best friend from the perspective of how you you know maximize things because you know it, because we have a smaller you know there's five probate judges, for example, you kind of get to know a lot of them um, and you can start to make some headway. Uh, but, you know, where I practiced originally, there was one probate judge. That's all uh, all that they did. And, you know, you got to know their clerk very, very well. And in many counties and places in the country, the there's only one judge, period. And he hears everything from, he or she hears everything from criminal cases to family law cases to probate cases. Um, so, you know, really getting a sense there that the clerks will walk you through it. If they like you, they will really, they'll go the extra mile to help you. They'll call you or they'll tell you, no, you got to check that box. Don't check this box. You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, no, in LA, you're never going to get a picture, a selfie with <laughs> You got to take advantage of these small no. town uh, ways. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, good. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks for jumping in, man. Great. Um, okay. So again, and this is meant to be participants, so feel free if you're on the, YouTube, we got a big YouTube group today. Um, feel free to put questions there. I'm watching the chat box. You guys are talking to each other, which is fine, but you have a chance to talk to really one of the leading probate and estate planning experts in Los Angeles, if not the country uh, here. So feel free to jump in and ask questions. Um, so let's talk a bit about, um, we talked about uh, probate, we talked about estate planning. Let's talk about litigation a little bit. Sure. Seems, seems to me that when, by the time, they know it's litigation, right? They come to you and they're, it, it, it's become litigation. It, it seems so hard to project an outcome that it must be almost impossible to reject what the investment or cost is going to be in terms of legal fees. How do you advise, yeah. you know, I, I, you know I, I felt probate on my own. Everything was fine until my cousin, brother raised his hand. Now we're going at it. He hired an attorney. We're fighting each other. Uh, and you look at that, go, well, it's definitely a litigation situation. How do you assess like what the costs are going to be and and give them as you know set the expectations for the client? Yeah, you're right. I mean, as soon as the litigation, you know, hand is raised, kind of all bets are off on cost because you don't really know how the other side's going to react. Um, one thing I can say is that almost all of these probate litigation fights in which we're involved in many um, are driven primarily by personal feelings. They're not driven by uh, a decision on uh, cost, right? Um, you know, somebody peed in your Wheaties 30 years ago and you're still mad about it. And now you're going to be able to really come at, you know, exact your revenge now that mom or dad has died and, 
you know, outcomes, all the things, you know, you let the air out of my bicycle when I was nine, all of that stuff. Um, and that's really what drives a lot of that litigation. So depending on what your role is in the, in a, in a probate case, right, really trying to hone in on the value um, that you're bringing or, or the cost associated with either the litigation or what you're fighting about. You know, I've had cases where um, the clients were fighting about um, who would be appointed the executor uh, and the account, and that's a common fight. But the only asset of the estate was a two, an account of $250,000. Now, that, that just happened to be just over the, the limit you know, of, of assets that had to be probated. And, you know, we're, I, I'm not handling that case personally, but it's still going on. And uh, it's about three years into that fight. And there's still no one's appointed as the executor uh, there. And it's $250,000. I mean, they could have taken that, split it, invested it, and been way money ahead. But it's not about that. It's about uh, who's winning, right? So if you can try to re- redirect and get people back to, you know, what, what the focus is, look, this is an estate, we're trying to split it up, let's look at it from a cost-effective perspective, great. Um, but it's challenging for a lot of people to do, to do that. It's very emotional. Um, you know, in many ways, it's very similar to if you're, if you're handling any kind of, you know, cases that are resulting from a divorce, right? Somebody's being forced to do something they don't want to do, and they're not going to do it willingly. So, you know, you have to really kind of stay the course try to keep them, you know, keep them uh, aligned on that. In the litigation, one of the places where I try to play a role is being able to work with both sides. The challenge is if one attorney introduces you, you looked at maybe as their side on the flip side, you know, um, if we're professionals and hopefully those of us on the call are working on being better at this than the average realtor, then we have some skills on how to communicate better with both attorneys to get a better outcome for both sides at the end. What would you yeah. look for if somebody came to you and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a real estate agent. I, yes, it's true. I met, you know, the other attorney and the other side, but this is an area that I'm experienced in. What are you looking for before you're going to say, okay, you could be a fair person and handle the deal for both of us? What, what as an attorney, what do you look for before you're going to agree to that uh, third-party vendor? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking for someone that, uh, regardless of the drama associated with the case, right, is going to be able to maximize the, the value of the sale, right? Because ultimately, that, that's what we need at the end of the day, right? We need the property to be sold and the proceeds to be split. And as long as there are more proceeds to split than there otherwise would be, right, that's, that person's going to get a fair shake from my perspective. Um, very rarely would I would I push and say, no, we're not going to use that person so long as there's evidence that they have done uh, real estate sales before because they are a little bit of a different animal, right? And that they have a platform, they're associated with a brokerage that's going to allow them to maximize the exposure and you know get the fair market value for the property. That's really the key, right? Because, you know, Joshua, shut up. what's that? No, somebody else. Oh, okay. I muted themselves back to the, uh, you know, the, the whole, you know, you guys are all realtors, so you know that, um, you know, CMAs are great, broker price opinions are great, but the only way you're really going to know what the value of the property is, is to expose it to the open. Right. And, you know, once you've done that, then, you know, and you've done it in an effective way, then that's great. By definition, if it's not on the open market, you're not going to get top dollar. Uh, there's no, there's just no way to do that. And I think as a, as a broker, I also shop for my investor clients. And the one thing I look for is, 
probate cases, limited authority, not on the MLS. Like the, I check every one of those because yep. there's enough of them that end up being good value for investors. Uh, and there's a reason why you don't put it on the market is probably because you want to get it for a cheaper price. So yeah, that's right. Fantastic. Well, look, I really appreciate the time. I know I know you're busy and I'm really fortunate to have you on here today. Um, if somebody was interested in uh, talking to you or your firm about um, estate planning or probate administration or related things, what's the best way to get in touch with you or your firm? Uh, if you want to talk to me, email's great. Um, I, you know, just like probably all of you addicted to it, you know, can't get away from it as hard as you try. Um, so email's perfect. I can put it in the chat or Bill, if you share it, however you want to do that. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, perfect. It looks like I was taken when I was in high school. We're going to go with that picture. Um, but yeah, there's my contact information. That phone number goes to the firm, you know, hotline, but or the front desk, but the email goes directly to me. And happy to be a resource, uh, whether it's in California or Ohio. Those are the two primary areas, even though I've been working other places. I know those two areas best. Um, you know, <clears throat> California is a beast. So if you have something that comes up, happy to be a, happy to be a resource for you. Fantastic. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you know uh, having you know met you recently on the um, a real estate symposium and really today giving us a deep dive on the business of law and probate and, and trust administration. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate everything you've done for us. Absolutely happy to do it and uh, happy to help anybody that needs. Thank you. Thanks. All the best. And for the rest of you, this is Probate Weekly. We do this every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, it's recorded as well. If you put questions there, I'll check them up afterwards. And if appropriate, route to our guest, Josh or whoever, or try to answer myself. Also, a couple of free resources just to point out, if you want to sign up and come in on the live stream to participate, love to have you do that. That's at probateweekly.com. Sign up there and there's a handsome guy that looks like my picture from high school. Uh, and then there's all the details. We also, if you want to see the past episodes, you go to episodes probateweekly.com and you can see already the next one's kind of teed up and ready to go and then in facebook we have the group probate experts we have about 2200 members who get together share leads ask questions report victories ask for help and our goal here is to create a national platform of real estate agents investors and professionals to service our customers better so thank you Ray, for being here today i really appreciate it thanks again to joshua courtney always great to see you and i will talk to you guys soon all the best bye bye
Hey, it's Bill Gross. I hope you like this video. If you want to join us live every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern, register at probateweekly.com, www.probateweekly.com. And if you like this content, hit the like button and subscribe and hit notifications, and you get notified as soon as we upload every time. Thanks.